I am humbled and honored every time I get to preach from the book of Revelation. Uh, It's a special book to me. It was the book that God used to draw me to himself. It was the book that God used to save me. I have to admit to you that I wasn't looking for Jesus 18 years ago when I was studying this book. Uh, I was looking for other things. I was curious and fascinated with the end times, the end of the world. My wife can attest to that. I'm kind of a doom and gloom type guy, and so I was uh, trusting that the Bible might have answers about the end of the world. A few weeks ago, Kevin was preaching through Matthew chapter 24, and you remember those disciples? They had some questions. They were asking questions very similar to the questions that I were asking. Times and dates, the wins, the wheres. When was the Lord going to return? What was his wrath going to be like? I was looking for those type of answers. I was also trying to decipher um, the identity of a, of a person that we know as Antichrist. Um, I was also trying to figure out the number of the beast. and uh, I was also trying to find out if, if the, the pages of Revelation told us anything about nuclear war. I want to tell you that I was left utterly confused by this book. In fact, I I left this book for a time and and just believed that it was uh, utterly impossible to figure this book out. But you know, every time I picked it up, I, I, I began catching little glimpses of a person in that book that I thought was a secondary character. And God began to work in my heart and give me understanding, the understanding that I really needed. I never had a problem with Jesus growing up. I grew up in church. I was not saved, but I didn't have a real problem with him. I knew other people had placed their faith in Jesus. I knew other people believed that Jesus was God. And so for the very first time in my life, I prayed to God. And I asked God to give me understanding of the end times. And I want to tell you, the more that I prayed, the more confused I was with the book of Revelation. But there was one thing that was very, very clear as I was reading the book. I was seeing Jesus. And one night, as I was studying this book, I I realized one truth, one truth from, from from this great book, and that was that if Jesus was to return... I would not be an object of his love, but I would be an object of his wrath. And that evening, I I cried out to God to save me. And that's exactly what he did. It wasn't the answer to my prayer, but it was what I needed. You see, we have to have salvation. We have to have the Spirit of God and able to understand this great book. But I want to tell you something. I want to encourage you this morning. God was still faithful to my original prayer. And I believe that God has given me some insight to understanding this great book. And I want to tell you that this morning, I'm not claiming to be an expert of Revelation. I'm I'm not in that league. In fact, 
We're going to move through one verse. Actually, not even a verse, a half verse. I believe God has given me insight into that half verse. You see, for 18 years I've been studying this book, and that's all God's given me, a half a verse of knowledge. But I want to pass that knowledge on to you this morning. I want to pass on to you a few keys to understanding this awesome book. You will not learn times and dates. You will not learn who the Antichrist is. But I want to tell you that if you follow these keys, you can safely maneuver and have understanding in this book. This book will help us to see Jesus in a way that you may never have seen him before. That's my prayer, that's my heart this morning, that you see Jesus in a way that you've never seen him. Because he is all over the pages of this book. Let's read verse 1 together. Actually, we're just going to read the first part of that verse. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things that must soon take place. You know, a lot of times when we're reading the Bible, we kind of skip over some of those introductions, some of those first words of the book. We think that they're unimportant. Well, I want to tell you that these first words in the book of Revelation are God's introduction to the book. This half verse sets the stage for us this morning on how to properly understand, how to properly maneuver through this book. This morning, in this, this, this short little passage, we are going to learn the nature of the book. We are going to learn the main theme of the book. We are going to learn that this book has recipients. It was intended for someone. And we're also going to see something very special. We're going to see the special origin of this book or the divine origin of this book. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at a few other passages on our way, but we're going to have a great time this morning learning to see Jesus. Now, the nature of the book. The nature of the book is that it is, that it is a revelation. Okay, In fact, it is the revelation. You ever hear people call this book Revelations? Okay, It's not Revelations, it's the revelation. This word teaches us the nature of this book. In the Greek, this word is apocalypsis. It means literally to become visible. It means to take the cover off of something. It means to reveal. It carries the idea that something that has been previously hidden from us is now unveiled and is revealed. That is the nature of this book. It reveals things. It reveals things that have been hidden in the past. It makes them visible. It takes the cover off. This is the first key to understanding this book. It is a revelation. When you approach this book, you have to understand that because many people are confused by this book. They approach this book like it's a puzzle and they've got to piece it together like it's a riddle, like they've got to figure it out. 
they approach this book really as if this book is hiding something. You ever seen those books, How to Decode Revelation? They think that there are all sorts of hidden codes in the book of Revelation. It's, it's, uh, it's not the nature of the book. It's not hiding anything. It's revealing things. And, and, and the scary thing is it, it, it reveals them and makes them almost too clear. Now, I, I want to stress something so that you don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that this book is not difficult. I'm saying it's clear, but just because something's clear doesn't mean that it's really easy. Okay, this book is a difficult book. You go down to uh, the bookstore and you pick up about five different commentaries on the book of Revelation, you will see that theologians disagree on this book. There are five, six, seven different ways to interpret this book. Is it a book about the future? Is it historical? And then they add all kinds of words Uh, to to your belief system of revelation. And I want to tell you, there's some good things there, okay? But it can be very confusing. I want to tell you another thing about this book. It's a frightening book. There's some aspects of it that are very frightening. This book reveals dark things. It talks about demons and antichrists and outpouring of God's wrath, okay? But make no mistake about it, it is a very clear in revealing book. It's almost too graphic. Yesterday, my youngest son, Thomas, um, asked me to go to the World War II Museum down on uh, 2nd Street, North 2nd. And uh, we went up to the second floor, and in, in that floor, that area, there's an area uh, that deals with concentration camps. And there's a warning on the door that says, you know, this could uh, be suitable for, for young children. Uh, there's some, some very graphic things. Thomas and I walked into the room, and he kind of stood at a distance from things, just kind of observing them. And, and I went up and I looked at the pictures of the concentration camp victims and, and looked at, 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 at the devices that they would use to torture people. I want to tell you something. It was very, very clear what these people went through. But you know what? It was so clear that it was confusing to the mind. You wonder how could these things take place. I think the book of Revelation is is like that. It's very clear. It's very graphic. Sometimes it's so graphic we have a hard time wrapping our mind around it. But make no mistake, this book is clear. It is visible. Okay? Hard to understand, but it's clear. That word, apocalypsis, that means revelation. We get our English word, apocalypse. Anybody ever heard that word, apocalypse? Okay, did you ever know that the definition of that word is to become visible? A lot of times we associate uh, the end of the world and doom and gloom and and judgments and mystery and, and fear with that word. But simply put, this word means to reveal. It means to unveil. That's what it means. You have to know that in order to maneuver through this book. Second thing, what is the central theme of this book? I think it's quite obvious from our worship time what the central theme of the book of Revelation is. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this book reveals many things other than Jesus, okay? 
It reveals Antichrist. It reveals a new heaven and a new earth. It it reveals angels and demons and battles and bloodshed and all these things. But I want to tell you that that is not the main point of the book of Revelation. And I tell you, we get into trouble when we go into the book of Revelation and we make the secondary things the main thing. To quote Tony Evans, I don't know if you've ever heard Tony Evans preach, but he says you've got to make the main thing the main thing. When you're studying the book of Revelation, you've got to understand what the main theme of the book is, and that is Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is important to our understanding of this book. In the Greek, this term is apocalypsis Jesu Christu, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Literally, literally the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Now that begs the question, has Jesus Christ ever been veiled? Has he ever been covered? Has he ever been hidden from us? And the answer is yes. You look back into the Old Testament and you think about um, all of the different signs and symbols for Jesus, but Jesus was hidden. Okay, there were glimpses of him. There were shadows of him. You think about the Passover. Jesus Christ was represented in in the Passover. He was the spotless lamb. The blood that was put on the doorpost was so that the angel of death would pass over those houses that were covered by the blood. That was a symbolic picture of Jesus Christ. But it was kind of a shadow. It was a symbol. We have people, people in, the, uh, uh, in the Old Testament that painted a picture of, of some aspects of Jesus. You think about Moses. Moses was the deliverer. He delivered Egypt out of the bondage Delivered, excuse me, delivered Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. I caught that. Uh, He was the deliverer. He delivered them out of bondage. He was a picture. He was a type. He typified Jesus Christ, who would ultimately be our deliverer, and he would deliver us from the penalty of sin and death. Now, we move into the New Testament, and the New Testament opens with the birth of Jesus. We get to see the visible Jesus. He was the exact representation of God. If you remember back uh, when, they take, when Mary and Joseph take the baby Jesus into the temple, Simeon is there. And God promised Simeon that he would see the Messiah before he died. And he gets to hold the baby Jesus. And he says one very interesting thing. He says that Jesus was a light of revelation to the Gentiles. He was a light of apocalypsis to the Gentiles. Jesus was definitely revealed in the New Testament. But let me say he wasn't fully revealed. He was still veiled. He was veiled in human flesh. He was clothed with humility. We did not see his full unveiled glory except for three times in the New Testament other than the book of Revelation. The Mount of Transfiguration, you remember Peter, James, John go up on the mountain with Jesus and for a, for, a, for a moment, they got to experience the unveiled glory of Jesus. <laughs> they were bewildered by it. The stoning of Stephen 
Stephen is being stoned and he looks up and he sees heaven open up and he sees Jesus Christ in his ascended glory standing at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Stephen got to see him. And Paul tells us that while on the the road to Damascus, he was blinded by a light. You know, he was not blinded by the sun, but he was blinded by the sun, S-U-N. He was blinded by the unveiled glory of Jesus Christ. And he tells us in Galatians chapter 1, verse 12, he said, I didn't receive the gospel like many of you did. I did not receive the gospel from another man. I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. The exact exact same word phrase. I received it from an apocalypsis, Jesus Christu. I got it from him in his glorified state, and he was blinded. So Jesus was veiled in the Old Testament. A lot of times, you know, people would see his miracles, which again attested to his glory, but they were confused by his humanity. They would ask questions like, isn't that Joseph's boy? Isn't he from Nazareth? Okay, they were confused because he looked like a man. So he was veiled. Revelation takes the cover off of Jesus. We see him as he really is. One of my favorite Bible teachers on the book of Revelation is a guy named John MacArthur. He has an interesting take on the book of Revelation. He says it's the fifth gospel. You see, the first four gospels, the central theme is Jesus Christ, but it's Jesus Christ in his humanity. It's Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. It's Jesus Christ in the flesh, dying and suffering. And then he says, Revelation, whose central theme is Jesus, completes the story. It shows us Jesus, the unveiled Jesus. I want to tell you that he is the theme of the book. This book from, for 22 chapters adorns him with nearly 30 titles and descriptions. Many of those are repeated throughout the book. A few weeks ago, Jamie preached at a Colossians, and he stole my thunder, by the way. He stole my thunder a couple of weeks ago, and I was going to read to you all 30 titles in a row. I, I, I probably spared you a lot of grief. But he read those titles. That's who Jesus is. He's not just the Savior that died, but he's the exalted Christ, the ascended Christ, right here and right now. And for 22 chapters, he is adorned over and over in this book. I want to talk to you about the structure of the book for just a second. The structure of the book is very interesting. Uh, You may be confused to know that the book of Revelation is not in chronological order. Um, It's kind of in a unsystematic, I don't even know if that's a word. It's not in systematic order, let's put it that way. Uh, And that can be very confusing. But I want to tell you this, something very glorious, that the book is really built around Jesus. There are multiple visions of Jesus in this book. And this book really is built around each one of those visions. Each vision, the events that surround it, are connected to that vision. So really everything in the book of Revelation is connected to Jesus. It's connected to specific visions of Jesus. This morning as 
uh, we were in our worship time, we read out of three different passages. These three different passages are three great visions of Jesus. And everything in that book is centered around them. There are a few others, but there are, the, the book is really built and constructed around him. I want to show you this in just a few of these. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 12. We read that this morning. It was the description of Jesus. Uh, description of his robe, the golden sash, the, the head and hair that are white as wool, his eyes that were like fire, his legs are glowing. It's just this beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you that that vision was placed in there because it was vital to the understanding of chapter 2 and chapter 3. Chapter 2 and chapter 3 are the letters to the seven churches. And every one of those descriptions of Jesus are in every one of those letters to the churches. That section is built around this wonderful and beautiful vision of Jesus Christ. And did you see the very first of that vision? It says that Jesus is in the middle of seven golden lampstands. Now you look in verse 20 to find out what the lampstands are. A lot of times uh, Revelation seems confusing because you see things. What are these lampstands doing here? Well, the book tells you what they are. It says that the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So John sees this vision of Jesus in the middle of these seven golden lampstands. He's in the middle of the churches in his glorified state. You know, a lot of times we think that Jesus is just up there looking down on us. You know, he's died, he did his part, he's up in heaven, he's going to come back someday. But he's conveying to these churches that I'm in the middle. And you know what? I'm full of glory. And he tells those churches, each church, I know you. I know everything about you. I know the troublemakers. I know your strengths. I know your weaknesses. I know the people that are trying to walk. He knows them intimately. And that vision is connected with those letters in the churches. There's something very interesting in verse 17. Um, It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. That's John. And you know, John knew who Jesus was. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. You remember that? He should know who Jesus is. But I want to tell you that in the book of Revelation, Jesus looks a little different. John sees him and he falls down as if dead. You would think if he had this, this, this recognition of him, he'd go up and throw his arms around him. But there's an element of Jesus in Revelation that brings you to your knees, falling down in front of him as if dead. We need to understand the unveiled Jesus He is full of glory. He's full of majesty. But I don't want you to be confused. You know, there are some that think that the book of Revelation really speaks about a different Jesus, a mad Jesus. He's mad that he had to go to the cross, so he's going to get his revenge. Okay? That's not the case at all. He is full of glory. But I want you to see what Jesus does. It says he places his right hand on John, and he says, don't be afraid. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, John, it's me. You're seeing the unveiled Jesus. It's still me. And the the sheer fact that the glorified Christ can touch John and John not disintegrate shows that Jesus' death on the cross was satisfied. It satisfied the wrath of God. And so everything in the next couple of chapters is connected with this vision 
Go to chapter 5. Kurt's already talked a little bit about chapter 5. Chapter 5 is connected to chapter 4. Chapter 4, we sang a song today that was about chapter 4, holy, holy, holy. Chapter 4 is about God on the throne, God the Father on the throne. We see the four living creatures around him. And do you know that they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So chapter 4 is a great chapter of God on the throne. Chapter 5 is a continuation of that chapter. But some things start changing. And there is a shift in this chapter. And this chapter is going to affect the next several chapters of this book. This vision is connected with just about everything else that goes on in the book of Revelation. You see in chapter 1, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open up the book and to break its seals. And it says that there was no one found worthy. There was no one found worthy. In Roman times, a document that was sealed with seven seals was like a last will and testament. And only the rightful recipient, only the person that was going to receive that inheritance could break those seals. In Jewish culture, it was a little bit different. You, uh, you would fold the document and then seal it, fold it and seal it. And that was representative of a title deed, like a, like a house title or a car title. And again, the only person that could lawfully break those seals was the one that it was for, the recipient of that document. I want to tell you, folks, we get a glimpse here of God the Father on the throne with a title deed to the universe, with all of his inheritance. Let me tell you, God owns everything. It's the universe and the right to the universe in his hand. It's a special, special story and it says that no one can, no one is worthy to open it. John realizes that it's a, you know, something very significant. He begins to weep and to, and to cry. I don't know why. Okay, he's crying though that there, there, there's no one found worthy. And look at verse five. It says, "And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping." Did you catch that? That was an elder caught up into this glorious vision. That's a pastor. That's a shepherd. That's not an angel. That's a man. And he says, stop crying. Who better than a man, a shepherd, a pastor, to say there's one worthy. There is one worthy, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the the root of David. And then then this thing just starts going. It just starts spinning out of control in a good way. I saw between the throne the four living creatures and the elders and, the lamb, and a lamb that, that looked as if he had been slain. If you look down in verse 7, he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sits on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, they fell down and they worshiped the lamb. Do you see the shift going on here? The focus was on God the Father. Now it's on the lamb. There is a transition here where God the Father is giving the inheritance to the Son. He has promised him that since the Old Testament. 
that he would receive the inheritance. Here on the pages of Scripture, we get to see this unveiled picture of the glory of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice something. God showed me this last night. Look at verse 9. You know, they start to worship him. And then in verse 9, it says they sang a new song. Kurt referred to that today. But I want you to think about something. Those four living creatures have never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they start singing a new song. They change their tune. Do you realize that at the, the, the vision of the unveiled Jesus Christ, they change their tune? They sing a new song. And it is an awesome song. They say, Worthy are you to take the book and to open its seals. And I want to tell you that the rest of the book of Revelation up until chapter 19 is Jesus Christ opening those seals. Everything is connected to this vision. You wonder why wrath is being poured out? Because each step, each seal that Jesus Christ breaks, he's one step closer to opening that scroll and fully reading his inheritance. And and once he reads it, he's going to take it back. It's rightfully his. Do you realize he was the creator of the universe? He came down here for a purpose, and in here we see the full purpose. He's going to take it back. He's going to take back what is his. Verse 13, it says, And every created thing in heaven and on earth and under the earth and under the sea and all all of them I heard singing to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb be blessing and honor and dominion forever and ever. You know, they don't forget God the Father in there. They don't just shift over to Jesus. But they say to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb, they sing a new song. Be blessing and honor and glory. This book is built around Jesus Christ. I'd love to talk to you about the three or four other visions of Jesus, but I would never get asked to preach again. You you guys would, would want to stone me after. But he's the central theme. And if you want to maneuver through this book, you have to understand that this book is about Jesus. If you stick to that, you don't have to worry about who the Antichrist is. You don't have to worry about the number of the beasts. You don't have to worry about a rapture or the tribulation. I think it's good to know those things, but they're not the main thing. The book is about Jesus Christ. The purpose is to reveal him and to see him in ways you've never seen him. Now, who are the recipients of the book? Go back to chapter 1. The recipients of the book. It says, God gave him to show to his bondservants... This little title here, bondservant, they are the recipients of this book. This book was intended to be read. You know, there are some that think that the book of Revelation is just so beyond our scope of understanding. Uh, it's just in there, and God knows what it means, and, that, and, 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 and you, can be, you, know, you can just deal with that. Okay? But I'm, you need to understand that the book of Revelation has a group that it's intended towards, and it is the bondservants of Jesus Christ. We know where that term bondservant comes from. It comes from the Old Testament. Okay, it comes from the Old Testament. It was a slave who lovingly wanted to stay with his master, wanted to submit fully to his master. And what he would do is he would come and he'd say, hey, I don't want to be sold. I love you. I want to serve you. I want to be with you till the end of my days. And he would go and he would put his ear on the door frame, and they would pierce that ear with an awl. And it would be a mark signifying 
that he was a bond slave. He was there because he wanted to be there. He was there because he loved his master. Now, there's no one, it's no wonder why I couldn't understand Revelation back 18 years ago. It's because I was an unbeliever. This book wasn't intended for me. This book was intended for bondservants of Jesus Christ. We have to remember that. We have to understand that. Jesus had to save me first before he could show me his unfolding plan. So you need to understand that this book is for people that love Jesus. Okay, that's, one of our, that's one of our core tenets here at Southside, to love Jesus. If you love Jesus, this book is intended for you. It's not intended for the high theologians. It's not intended for the overly smart people. It's not intended for unbelievers. It's intended for those who want to love and to serve Jesus Christ. So my question to you our response to this glorious message is, are you a bondservant of Jesus Christ? Are you lovingly willing to sacrifice yourself? Okay, Are you willing to be a servant? This word carries the connotation of a, of, of a servant who lovingly serves, wants to do everything they can to serve. You know, last week Kevin preached a message. It was a message to our members about the different ways that we could serve. I don't know how you felt about that message. In that message, he asked, that the, or he told us that there will be opportunities to commit to a year-long ministry at the church. Get in the game. That's what it is. There's a, a list of things. I want to tell you this. Kevin was just teaching us what it's like to be a bondservant. That's all he was doing. He was giving us opportunities to commit to service at Southside. You know what? Jesus came the first time in humanity to pave the way back to him through his blood. He established the, the church, his bride. He's given us gifts. He's given each one of us spiritual gifts. And he said that use these gifts in ministry. And you know what else he says? He says, guess what? I'll make your gift effective. God, makes, God gives us our gift. God gives us the ministry. He, he makes it effective. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the heir of the universe. He is worthy. He is glorious. And guess what? He asks of us. He doesn't ask for one year of service. Now, don't get me wrong. I think committing to one year is a good thing. But Jesus doesn't ask us to... to to just sign on the dotted line for one year. He asked us to give our bodies as living sacrifices to him. God demands our life. We are to be loving bondservants, sacrificing our life for him. Are you a bondservant? We're going to have a response time in just a minute or two. And you just need to ask yourself that question. I'm not going to manipulate you, tell you how you need to respond or anything like that. God, I, I trust that the unveiled Jesus can convince you if you are or if you're not. If you're an unbeliever, you can come to him today. You just have to recognize what he did in his first coming, that he died for your sins, and that he will give you a new life if you trust in him. I want to end with one little thing that we skipped over in this verse. There, there, there's something that, that you might not have caught 
Did you see that it says that God gave him to show his bondservants? Do you see that? God gave it to him. That him is Jesus. Your Bible should have that capitalized, by the way. Some Bibles don't. I don't like those Bibles. God gave it to him. It's connected back to Jesus Christ, who is the main point of the book of Revelation. God gave it to him. And that begs the question, why would God give Jesus the book of Revelation? Why would God give him this book? Again, if you, if you look at theologians, there's a lot of uh, answers to that question. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to throw theology out for just a second. I'm going to speak to you from my heart. It is so obvious to me why God would give Jesus Christ this book and then have Jesus give this book to us. It was a love gift from God the Father to God the Son. It was God saying, well done, you good and faithful servant. You've been obedient, and now I'm going to exalt you. You remember the first four Gospels? Central theme, Jesus Christ. Shows us Jesus in his humanity. Shows him suffering, thirsting, being beaten, being spit upon, bleeding and dying. Jesus Christ was humiliated in a book that will live forever. This is an eternal book. And our Savior was humiliated in four books of the Bible. Now we know that that humiliation was part of God's plan. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But we can't escape the fact that he was humiliated I want to tell you that revelation is God's way of showing us who Jesus really is. He's not just a man that died on a cross, but he's a majestic God that lives forever and ever. You see, when we come to this book, we have to realize that. When we come to this book, we are, we are treading on holy ground. We are, we are seeing, we are eavesdropping on a gift from God the Father to God the Son. You know, this morning when I was practicing this, I developed a little shake in my arm. I was trembling at the origin of this book. This is a gift from God the Father to God the Son. We've got to realize that. We've got to realize it was a love gift. It was meant for his bondservants. This book is for Christians. This book is for the bondservants of Jesus Christ. And this book has a purpose. The purpose is to unveil Jesus Christ so that we see him in a more complete way and we see him for who he really is. And I want to tell you that if you stick to that, you can maneuver safely through this book. You will not grow wrong. Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's what the book of Revelation is. It's fixing our eyes on the unveiled glory of Jesus Christ.